for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Along with its economy, China's capital market showed resilience in 2021, despite the pandemic and geopolitical tensions. In terms of number of IPOs, we perhaps rank number one in the world. As the world's two largest economies, China-U.S. cooperation matters in the hyperconnected global markets. As long as international investors cannot decouple. Uh, from Hong Kong, they will not be able to decouple from mainland. To start 2022 on the right foot, what messages from the CSRC should not be missed by companies and investors? And we will encourage Chinese companies to list abroad. We will open up the domestic index futures products to international investors. You know, our market will become as important as the U.S. market. For more insights on the way forward for China's capital markets, join us on Biz Talk only on CGTN. Welcome to Biz Talk. I'm Michael Wong. Today we zoom in on the world's second largest capital market here in China. Now, despite the specter of pandemic uncertainty and geopolitical frictions continuing to cast a long shadow on the global economy in 2021, we have seen investors from around the world. Increasing their positions in Chinese stocks and bonds. So, what have we seen from China's capital markets in 2021? What achievements, new financial reforms, and opening up measures have we witnessed? Well, to talk about all of this and much more, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Fang Xinghai, Vice Chairman of China's top securities regulator, the China Securities Regulatory Commission, or the CSRC. Dr. Fang, welcome to the program. It's great to have you back on the show. Great to see you. So I want to take stock of 2021 first. We have seen the steady development of China's economy in 2021. The capital markets. We have seen a solid development trend there as well. What would you say are the major highlights of China's capital markets in 2021?、Um, in terms of capital raising,、uh, our markets have done extremely well. We issued、uh, about 500 IPOs,、uh, and it raised a total of. Around、uh, 520 billion RMB, so which is equivalent to about 80 billion、uh, US dollars.、Mm. So I think in terms of number of IPOs, we perhaps rank number one in the world. In terms of the amount of capital raised, I think we are only second to the United States. Yeah. So that's one highlight.、Uh, another highlight would be、uh, the pouring in of more foreign capital into our stock market. So this year,、uh, we have、uh, a net inflow of about 400 billion RMB,、mm. and that is the、uh, historical high in, in China during、yeah. the past year.、Uh, foreign investors kept their trust and confidence in our markets. So I think these are the two highlights. Fantastic. And when we talk about the IPO markets, I think policymakers around the world, and especially in in China. We need to make sure that the IPO markets work for smaller companies, medium-sized companies, and for innovative companies,、mm. and especially for innovative SMEs as well. So, specifically, what have we seen on that front in terms of the IPO markets、mm. working for these innovative smaller companies?、Uh, you know, I mentioned the number of new IPOs in our market. Yeah, 80、uh, percent of them are private, small, medium-sized companies,、mm. and these 80 percent are mostly. In technology and uh, uh, consumer uh, companies, and also manufacturing companies, so the、uh, capital market 
has become extremely important for small and in innovative companies in China. Yeah. And one consistent message that we have heard from China uh, continuously is this commitment to reform and opening up. Mm -hmm. Further reform and further opening up of China's capital markets. So in 2021, what were the highlights there? Yeah. In terms of institutions, uh, we see uh, more uh, foreign institutions coming into the Chinese capital markets. So for example, uh, uh, Fidelity, right? it's a huge uh, asset manager. Yeah. It was granted a license to set up a wholly owned uh, mutual fund management company in China. So, and in total nowadays, we have already eight uh, international fund managers that have set up uh, either wholly owned or majority controlled uh, asset managers in China. And we have uh, a number of uh, investment banks that have also uh, been given a majority shareholding or 100% shareholding in their operations in China. Uh, by the way, most of them are from the United States. Right. So despite you know, this kind of tense U.S.-China relations, yeah. we have seen uh, U.S. financial firms continue to show a strong interest in our market. And in terms of you know, reform, I think yeah. that this year uh, the highlight would be the further what we call the marketization of our market. Yeah. Uh, we instituted uh, what we call the registration system for IPO mm. and this year we uh, make it more perfect. Yeah. Uh, and therefore uh, companies have found it uh, a lot more attractive to list in the domestic market. So we, we saw record amounts of IPOs in China in, in 2021. Out of that amount, how much was done via the registration based system? Uh -huh. Because that is the, the very important That's path, right. 70% right? uh, of the new IPOs are done on a registration system nowadays. Wow, okay. Yeah. Are we seeing increasing positions from overseas investors into some of these smaller and more innovative companies that are listing, let's say, on the stock market or say on the Chinex? True, yeah, that's true. We have seen foreign investors broadening their mm -hmm. choice of Chinese companies. They used to invest into you know, only a few you know, big names, like Maltai, for example, yeah. right? Yeah. And now increasingly we have seen them doing researches into these smaller companies, but you know, more innovative companies. Yes. Okay. So we are seeing stronger connectivity between China's capital markets and the international capital the markets. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we are seeing greater market access in terms of financial institutions wanting to uh, increase their presence in China. What about widening uh, the channels to invest in China yes. and perhaps broadening the investable universe of products yes. for overseas investors? Uh, let me give you just one example. Right? We have uh, two schemes called uh, QV and another called RQV. Right? Mm. RQV stands for IMB uh, QV. And uh, this year we began to allow them to invest into uh, more financial and commodity derivatives. Mm. So for example, now they can invest into uh, commodity options yeah. and the commodity futures. Previously they could not. Uh, they can invest into uh, index, uh, stock index options nowadays, yeah. and previously they could not. So, so that has broadened up their investment uh, scope, uh, as well as giving them more uh, tools to manage their investment risk. And one highlight I want to mention is that this year uh, we uh, approved, or we worked together with the Hong Kong uh, regulators to launch a uh, uh, China-Asia based 
uh, index futures product in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. It was launched in the middle of October, and just in two months, you know, the transaction volumes has increased rapidly, and it's already yeah. catching up with uh, uh, what has been traded in Singapore and in the other markets. Okay, and we're going to talk about stronger connectivity between the Chinese mainland and Hong Kong markets, as well sure. as the futures markets in a second. But before we take a short break, Dr. Fong, I want to get your take in terms of why do you think these large overseas uh, financial institutions want to be here in the long mm. term, despite mm. the frictions that we might see in, in the global economy right now? Why are they voting with their feet to come here? I think they do it for several reasons. One is that, you know, uh, they're international investors, right? They cannot miss China, because China is such a huge part of the global economy, yeah. right? So in terms of asset allocation, they want to put some assets into China, and they increasingly put more assets into China nowadays. Mm -hmm. And that's because of, first of all, you know, the economy has exhibited resilience, right? Yeah. It continued to grow you know, in the face of this pandemic. Uh, and secondly, uh, our capital markets have been made a lot more convenient and friendly for the international investors. Yeah. Okay. A lot to look forward to in terms of further reform and opening up measures. We'll touch upon that in a mm -hmm. second as well. Stay with us, Dr. Fung. When we come back, we'll speak with Dr. Fung on stronger connectivity between the Chinese mainland and Hong Kong's financial markets, plus the CSRC's latest draft rules on the overseas listings of Chinese companies have garnered a lot of attention from investors all around the world. We'll discuss all of that. Coming up next, China's capital markets opened up even more in 2021 with a series of moves to better support domestic and international investors. They can make good use of international uh, capital markets for their growth. What is the CSRC's thinking behind new rules on overseas IPOs? To make the overseas listing by Chinese companies sustainable. That's not a tightening of, you know, of the rules. It's a perfection of the rules. What lies ahead for China-U.S. financial market relations? There's some uncertainty coming from the political side mm. in the U.S. Hello, Beijing Hello, 2022. Hello, Beijing 2022. Catch up with Sideline Story, a weekly podcast on the latest news and action of the Beijing Winter Olympics. For our exclusive content, find Sideline Story on your favorite podcast listening apps. This is BizTalk here on CGTN. We are seeing stronger interconnectivity and deeper integration between the financial markets of the Chinese mainland and Hong Kong with the CSRC determined in ensuring Hong Kong's status as an international financial center. And there have been some misunderstandings and some mischaracterizations outside of China regarding the new draft rules for Chinese companies choosing to list overseas. We're going to clear all of that up with Vice Chairman Fang Xinghai of the CSRC. So before we talk about the overseas listing rules, Dr. Mm -hmm. Fang, I want to ask you about Hong Kong because we are indeed seeing deeper interconnectivity between the Chinese mainland and Hong Kong financial markets. What do you see? What's going on there? Mm. We view Hong Kong not only as a gateway to Chinese mainland, but we also view Hong Kong as a connection point between China and the rest of the world, mm. right? So uh, nowadays, you know, you hear some people talk about sort of decoupling right, of the U.S. You know, with China in terms of financial uh, linkages. And uh, we believe that as long as international investors cannot decouple uh, from Hong Kong, right, yeah. then they will not be able to decouple from mainland China. So we attach a uh, great importance to Hong Kong. And uh, uh, the CSRC has a regular twice a year 
roundtable uh, regulatory discussion with the SFC, the Hong mm. Kong regulator, and we talked about almost anything, yeah. uh, including U.S.-China capital relations, capital markets relations. Yeah. Uh, recently, I was um, I was looking at this report by Nicholas Aguzin, who is the mm. new chief of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, yes. and, and he made an interesting point. He said, in about ten years' time, China's capital markets, the value of China's capital markets, may potentially triple. What do you think? I think it's uh, highly possible. Uh, right now, the market cap of the Chinese stock market is about eighty percent of the Chinese GDP. Mm. Right? In the U.S., that ratio is about. Uh, 200%. So if China rises to uh, 150%, let's say, yeah. right? And then in you know, 10 years' time, the GDP will continue to grow, right? So if you do some calculation, you know, you will realize that Nicholas's uh, estimation uh, is not wrong. Yeah. And uh, not only that, I think um, uh, the capital markets uh, has a potential to deepen even further than that. And in the future, uh, it will be as important as the U.S. market. Yeah. The potential is definitely there. Yeah. Potential and, uh, there. you know, uh, some people say that during the past 40 years, you know, since China uh, began its reform uh, in 1978, uh, the Chinese economy, and particularly the Chinese manufacturing sector, uh, has transformed the world economy. Yeah. In the next 20 years or so, uh, I think uh, the financial markets in China, and in particular capital markets, has the potential to transform international finance. Uh, and something, of course, that has really gained a lot of attention recently are the new draft rules for Chinese companies to list overseas. The CSRC has recently uh, released a new set of draft rules on this topic. I want to first understand sort of what are the major elements mm. in this uh, new draft rule as well as perhaps the institutional arrangements behind the draft rules, trying to understand the thinking, perhaps, okay. the thought process yeah. of regulators. Yeah, now, that's a good question. I'm very happy to answer that because a lot of international investors uh, are interested in knowing about it. Mm. You know, previously, prior to this draft rule, uh, the CSRC only regulates those overseas listings by companies who are registered in mainland. Now, if they are registered in Hong Kong or if they are registered in Cayman Island, you know, the so-called red trip companies, uh, their overseas listing, whether it's listed in New York or in Hong Kong, uh, are not regulated by the CSRC at all. Mm. And there's a problem to that because when one of these companies um, violated some regulatory rules in a foreign market, you take an example of uh, uh, Lucking coffee, right? right? The SEC wanted to investigate it, right? Yeah. And uh, the SEC had had to come to us for cooperation in terms of investigation, because all Lucking coffee's operations are in mainland China, right? In, in the Chinese mainland. Prior to before SEC came to us, we even did not know that Lucking coffee, you know, had gone to New York and has been listed there because it never went through the CSRC. Mm. So this new rule uh, makes up this, this gap. And from now on, uh, well, we are still uh, soliciting uh, opinions for this rule, right? yep. but I think the rule will be uh, formally issued in about uh, a month's time. So I think that this new regulation gives companies a formal process to follow and give overseas regulators 
a confidence in the Chinese companies that go to list in their market. And then if some of these companies have certain you know, problems in terms of regulation, there, was, you know, there will be already a uh, understanding between the CSRC and the SEC uh, prior to their listing. So the regulation will be also much easier. So this is about plugging loopholes as well. I mean, but media outside of China have sort of characterized this mm. as a tightening of policy that allows Chinese companies to list overseas, or perhaps restriction as well. What is the CSRC's response to that? Well, I think previously, as I said, there was no rule, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, capital markets operate based on rules. So to make the overseas listing by Chinese companies sustainable and make it sure that overseas investors are well protected, we need a more complete rule to plug in, as you said, in the hole. Yeah. Right. So that's not a tightening of the rules. Yeah. It's uh, I would say it's a perfection of the rules, and uh, we will follow you know the the principle that companies intrinsically have the right to choose a place to list, and we will encourage Chinese companies to list abroad so that they can make good use of international uh, capital markets for their growth. Okay, so I think that's very loud and clear. This is not about discouraging or restricting Chinese companies from listing overseas. This is about improving the system and making sure that foreign investors also have access to high quality Chinese companies exactly. as well. In terms of the audit oversight issues that are making headlines around the world right now, uh, in terms of Chinese companies listed in the U.S., what kind of progress are we seeing on mm. that front? Mm. You know, the PCOB has a statutory obligation to examine all these auditors that are uh, based in China has to look at their you know what we call the working papers to make sure that these auditors do a proper job right and uh, we at the CSRC completely agree with the PCOB that we should make it possible for the PCOB to do its job mm. right uh, on the other hand CSRC also has an obligation to safeguard uh, data sen uh, sensitive data when PCOB does these examinations. And by the way, the PCOB also recognizes our legitimate you know, concerns. They think that is good, that, that is perfectly legitimate for the CSRC to do its job of protecting uh, sensitive data. Mm. And the issue is that how do we find a way for both for the PCOB to be able to do the examination, as well as the CSRC, to, you know, to fulfill its obligation. Yeah. And we've made a lot of progresses. We have uh, at most one or two issues uh, outstanding. Mm. And uh, but these are kind of tough issues uh, yeah. outstanding. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think as long as both sides uh, have a desire, a true desire to resolve these issues, we can come to a successful conclusion. Are you confident that eventually a solution will be found, a mutually agreeable solution will be found to the current audit oversight issues? Well, I think, you know, based on our discussion with our counterparts, you know, our, our regulators, uh, as well as based on our discussion with, uh, you know, Wall Street firms and uh, uh, investors, uh, I'm quite confident. But, you know, the, in the U.S., I mean, there are a lot of uh, sort of political leaders who, uh, who may have a different view on that issue. Uh, uh, so I think there's there's some uncertainty coming from the political side mm. in the U.S. I don't think there's any 
uncertainty coming from some the business and the regulatory side uh, in the U.S. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, increased financial cooperation between China and the United States will not only benefit both countries but the entire world as well. So. Um, uh, of course, I, I agree. I agree. I'm thinking you know, the world needs more cooperations between the U.S. and China. Yeah. And uh, it's not just good for our two countries, but you know, it's also good for the entire world. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Fong, stay with us. We're going to take another short break. Up next, how can the capital markets contribute to China's goal of achieving economic stability and high-quality development? The capital markets have a unique uh, capability in terms of fostering uh, innovation. What else can we expect from China's capital markets in the near future? Chinese companies will be able to list in Switzerland and uh, in uh, Frankfurt. We will open up the domestic index futures products to international investors. A platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Well, as China's capital markets continue to open up, continue to be more integrated with the global capital markets, China's derivative markets need to move in lockstep to provide both domestic and international investors with more tools to hedge and manage their risks. Let's bring back Dr. Fang for his thoughts on this. So, Dr. Fang, of course, China's derivatives markets, its futures markets, it's still in the process of maturing, but we are already seeing China's derivatives markets better serving the country's real economy. We're seeing a lot of businesses accessing the derivative markets to hedge against the volatility that we see in the external environment. What is the progress and development like for China's derivatives markets mm. and futures markets? Uh, in terms of commodity futures and derivatives, uh, China's market is already huge. Um, it's second only to the United States again. Mm. Uh, and uh, this year, uh, trading volumes has almost doubled over the last year mm. uh, and more and more uh, companies, particularly small and medium-sized companies, have accessed the commodity market uh, for risk protection and uh, we feel a need to further develop our commodity futures market so that um, the factors that determine commodity demands in China can have more influence in the determination of the international price for all the commodities. And the other part, of course, is the financial derivatives. Now, the financial derivatives in China is actually relatively new. Mm. So we only have uh, three uh, contracts in terms of index futures, uh, uh, stock index futures. But we have not opened up to international investors yet. Mm -hmm. uh, QFEs can invest. Our first step is, is already done, and that is allow Hong Kong to introduce a uh, index futures product. And uh, uh, our plan is that in due course, we will open up the domestic index futures products to international investors based all over the world so that they can manage their risk as well. Uh, so uh, the Central Economic Work Conference, in mm -hmm. terms of setting the economic tone for work in 2022, that is also very loud and clear. Mm -hmm. and China will prioritize stability while pursuing progress, mm -hmm. and China's capital markets will also need to do its part in terms of, of supporting that goal. So how do you see China's capital markets in 2022, and perhaps in the immediate term, in terms of supporting the high-quality development of China's real economy? Nowadays, when we talk about stable growth, it's not only uh, 
the growth number that matters, you know, 5%, 6% of GDP growth rate. Yeah. What matters also is the quality of the growth mix, is that companies uh, should grow based more on innovation, right? Rather than on, you know, expanding the previous mode of production, right? And uh, uh, the capital markets have a unique uh, capability in terms of fostering uh, innovation. And that is very clear from the experience in the United States, right? Yeah. Almost all these you know, innovative companies in Silicon Valley uh, was fueled by uh, their listing in New York and, and the capital that they raised uh, in, in the, in the uh, uh, stock market. And in China, uh, we are actually doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I mentioned that this year we've had uh, a record in you know, a listing of new uh, IPOs, right? And next year, I expect the scene of IPO to be quite similar to this year. Mm. So more companies, innovative companies, will be able to access uh, our capital market and get the very you know much needed capital uh, to promote uh, their innovation further. Yeah, and a stable Chinese capital market, I think, can also play a very proactive role in supporting our global recovery from the pandemic as well. I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I, let me just mention another thing. You know, in this regard. Yeah. Uh, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, we issued a draft document uh, for solicitation of you know of inputs uh, on uh, expanding what we call the Shanghai London Connect mm. to include Switzerland and Germany. Oh, wow. No, that is not widely reported, but mm. it's in the news. Uh, it's in the domestic, uh, you know news uh, all the time. Yeah. So uh, the new rule will also be issued in about a month or so time. And then after that, Chinese companies will be able to list in Switzerland uh, and uh, in uh, Frankfurt. And then, you know, Germany and Swiss company will be able to uh, list in Shenzhen and, and Shanghai. And so a stable Chinese capital markets would be good for international growth in the sense that international companies, at least you know, from, of course, from London, they're welcome as well. So from London at this point and Frankfurt and Switzerland uh, can list in Shanghai and uh, Shenzhen uh, and to raise capital in the Chinese market. Okay, so on that note of stronger interconnectivity in the global capital markets, thank you so much for your insights and your thoughts on this topic today. Well, thank Dr. you for Bush. inviting Hi. me over here. Great. So, despite the disruptions and tensions in the external environment, China's determination to reform and open up its financial markets in a safe manner that protects domestic and global investors, well, that has not changed. And, of course, from our conversation with Vice Chairman Feng Xinghai of the CSRC, it's very clear that policymakers are making it easier to invest in China, making it easier to invest from China, and making it easier to manage risk better in China. China's solid economic fundamentals make the country's capital markets long-term attractive. We see institutional investors building up their long-term positions in Chinese securities as China offers some of the most dynamic and exciting investment opportunities in the world. And that will do it for this edition of BizTalk. I'm Michael Wong.